Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What exactly is reincarnation? How would it work? What does Albert Einstein's theory of relativity do to the idea of past lives? Hello and welcome to the 803rd broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON 12:40 a.m. and 99.3 FM. Uh, yeah, it's point three. I don't know why I, I, I hesitated really hard on that. Don't send out the wrong frequency. <laughs> yes. Right. So, so today we bring you a new guest on a subject uh, we haven't discussed in quite a while, and we welcome your calls today. Uh, it's four zero one seven six six one two four zero. That's from anywhere. Or you can email Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com, or you can contact us uh, via uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Having studied Eastern mysticism since 1973, filmmaker Stephen Sacalarius began production on a documentary, In Another Life, Reincarnation in America, with his company Gold Thread Video Productions in 1997. While promoting the documentary in 2003, Stephen was asked during an interview, Quote, can you recall any of your past lives? If so, how have they been influential in your work? Uh, and uh, I, well, all right, here's, here's what he answered. I do think that several of my past lives have been very influential in my work, and that's as far as I'm going to go because <laughs> we're going to ask Stephen that same question. Uh, Stephen lives in Portland, Maine, and I had the pleasure of meeting him uh, personally uh, the other uh, week when I was speaking in Linfield, Mass., and he came all the way down from Portland, and we had a lovely uh, visit before the program began, and um, I'm looking forward to the show today. So, Stephen Sacalarius, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Oh, it's great! It's great to have you on. So, I guess let's let's begin with uh, sort of our, our variation of questions. Um, we'll start with something relatively simple, but it's never as simple as it seems, is it? So, can you recall any of your past lives? Uh, I I can recall a number of them, I think, but I can only prove one. So, you know, there may there might be six or seven or ten other ones that I've had hints of, and uh, but I, I haven't located them in history or ha- have any way to prove them. So what's what's the one that you can kind of kind of point to? The one the one I can absolutely prove <laughs> I can't just point to it is uh, the younger brother of the poet uh, John Greenleaf Whittier. His name was Matthew Matthew Franklin Whittier, and uh, he lived in the uh, 19th century. Was born in 1812 and uh, died in 1883. So he was 70 years old. Um, and uh, I've been studying that lifetime for 10 years now. And I mean, uh, the first couple years, I would say the proposed life or the, you know, possible life. But after a couple years, I, I said, you know, I'm sure about it. So I'm going to have to start saying that I'm sure, just to be honest. So how do you know they really are memories of past lives or, um, you know, not, not some kind of lost personal memories, confabulation, anything like that? Well, there's different there's different techniques, but the one that satisfies me is you have to uh, set down past life impressions, which can be emotional, they can be recognition of something, or they can be actual cognitive memories. Uh, and you have to set them down at a time when there's no possible way you could have known the answer by normal means. You couldn't have seen it in a newspaper or a film or anything. It has to be something really specific that you had no way of finding. And then you have to find it. <laughs> You know, and and that means that this person has to be relatively obscure because if they're famous, it's going to be tough to remember anything that isn't publicly available. So that's what I did. I but I didn't realize how much information there actually was on this person. There's there was uh, one small 
biography and there was some mention of it in connection with uh, uh, John Greenleaf Whittier's lifetime and it wasn't very favorable and there wasn't very much of it and uh, as I dug deeper and deeper I found it was very much the opposite of that there was a great deal of material and he was uh, a much more um, interesting person shall we say than they think he is Stephen can you be a little specific about how you discovered this person in the first place yeah, um, I had had a psychic reading, and this is one of the, my, my method uses different approaches, so I'll use psychics, I'll use past life progression, I'll use what they call spontaneous memories, you know, why limit yourself to one method? So, but this was before I ever thought of researching a past life, I had this psychic reading, and she said that I was a, a female writer on the West Coast, and that I wrote serials every week or so, and got pretty successful at it. Um, and it, it sounded like it was maybe 1920s or 1930s. So, uh, I mean, I knew about reincarnation. I'd read about it, but I'd never, I didn't know there was any research on it. So I just started poking around on the Internet every once in a while when I had a little free time, uh, looking for the name of a female writer that might ring a bell somehow. And I finally found one. Her name was Sarah Orne Jewett, and she was uh, one of the... Um, Romantic writers, it's not actually the Romantic period, it's Victorian period, but from the uh, 1800s on the East Coast. So it wasn't, it wasn't the right person, but it still felt very familiar to me. So I, uh, at some point, sent this information to a fellow named Jeff Keane, who I'd had on my documentary, who seemed to have a knack of synchronicity, kind of a strange kind of psychic ability where synchronistic things would happen around him and people who were with him. So uh, I sent him the website, and he sent me back a page inside that website for Sarah Orne Jewett that had an etching of Matthew Franklin Whittier, uh, and just the information that he was an author, and of course he was the younger brother of John Greenleaf Whittier, and that was all that was on there. And I noticed that he did look pretty similar. Jeff noticed that too. But when I looked at his eyes, I felt very deeply that that was me. So that was the start, and I just started looking into it. Okay. One of the, um, the the problems we see with, and you know, we could be all wrong uh, with Pro- the probably are. No, yeah, <laughs> I like your candor. Uh, you know, with, with the classical interpretation of reincarnation uh, is the is goes back to 1952 when Einstein's theory of relativity, as we mentioned yes. in one of the early questions. Uh, if that's taken to its logical conclusion, there is no past. It's all, and there is no future. It's all simultaneous. We just experience it past the future. And that would mean that you're not dealing with, at least in our view, you're not dealing with past lives, you're dealing with parallel lives, which I suppose could be six of one, half dozen of the other. What say you on that issue? Well, first of all, I don't believe in Einstein. No. <laughs> all right. I mean, I, Fair I, enough. I, I would go to, my, my background is in Eastern philosophy. So I don't my, know. Well, my degrees in philosophy, including Eastern philosophy, too, so we got. We have that in common. Yeah, so that that's where I go for things that I don't have personal experience of. Now, you all gave me a heads up on this question. So I I've did, yes. Um, and there's two ways to answer it. One is from my personal experience, and one is from philosophy. You know, So in the larger sense, this is outside of my personal experience. But my understanding is that if you are in a very high state of consciousness, for you, in that state of consciousness, there's only the present. But not only is there only the present, there's also, there's no past and no future, but there's also no universe. <laughs> you know? So in that state, everything is in the present. There is just the present with a capital P. When you are in this normal operating state of consciousness, there is a past and there is a present and there is a 
a future, and that's real in this state of consciousness. So that's the way I look at that from the philosophical point of view. It depends on what state you're in, you know, and what level of reality we're talking about. Interesting. From, okay. From, but there's also my personal experience, which I can get into. Sure. Um, my personal experience comes from reading the published works of Matthew Franklin Whittier, and I have a very strange subjective experience when I do that a lot of times. I recognize it. Um, and if I've immersed myself in it for a matter of weeks, which I've done, we're talking a lot of, a lot of works because I've got like, I, I've been saying 1600 for ages now. It's more than that. So I, I've got a whole bunch of his work. When I immerse myself in it and I start reading, I start recognizing it and I start remembering myself as Matthew, but not cognitively. I remember it intuitively and I remember, and this is very difficult to explain, but as I'm reading, I remember the mental processes of writing it. So I remember what I thought was funny. I remember what I thought was particularly clever. I remember where <clears throat> where I was going with it. I remember the backstory emotionally, why I was writing it, what I was referring to. What I don't remember is what pen I was using and what desk I was sitting at and what room I was in, that kind of thing I don't have. But, I, but the m mental processes of writing it, I remember that. And when that happens... I feel myself to be Matthew at that time, but it's like I don't have a sense that he is currently alive now. <laughs> you know, that's not my experience. My experience is I remember doing this. I'm the same person, and I remember doing this. And it's just like if you picked up uh, your papers, college papers, and started reading it, and you'd forgotten this paper, and suddenly you remembered, yeah, I was particularly pleased with this paragraph or this idea, and I know why I was writing it, and I know what I was thinking about when I was writing it, that's the same experience that I have. So, excuse me. Yeah. In, in that sense, I don't, I, I, I have trouble with the idea that I'm alive now as Matthew, and that, you know, we could somehow influence each other. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me intuitively, but I can't really say. I've also, I've also read things that <coughs> do suggest that there might be other universes. I don't know what other universes are, but I've read that phrase. Okay. I think we should take a step back quickly. Um, and we should, in any sort of philosophical debate, my, my father always, always said we must define our terms. Mm. So the first thing we should do is define reincarnation first. Yes? So when we talk about reincarnation, Stephen, what are we talking about? Well, it's it's part of the cycle of life. Uh, it's you know a, you're taking an entire cycle and you're you know looking at a particular slice of it. But uh, what I mean when I talk about reincarnation is that the person always always was at any given point in that cycle always was their spiritual self. What I would think of as the astral body. They never were a physical body. They take one on. So. In the in the life cycle, if you if you check the if you look at that particular slice that they're in the astral realm, then you've got a person in the astral realm in their astral body. If you look at the point where they come back into a physical body, which, according to my understanding, happens at about uh, 21 weeks, I've been I've heard, uh, then you're talking about reincarnation. And then if you look at them during the physical life, that's what we call life. And then at the end of that cycle, when they leave the physical body, that's called death. And it's just a a cycle. So that's what I call reincarnation. So who is this astral person? So is this kind of like kind of like a 
a super version of the self? Could you elaborate a little more on it? Well, again, this is now this is not my personal experience because I've only had one little OBE, just enough to know it's real. But I haven't, you know, had extensive experience with that. I haven't had an NDE, so I'm not really the yeah, person near death experience. Yeah, near death experience. NDE, I'm not yeah. really the person to talk to about, you know, what's the difference? What does it feel like to be out of your body? Because I just had that one little glimpse. But my understanding is, when you shed this thing, it's uh, it's a kind of a relief, like it's a um, it's a damper on yourself being in this physical body and having to express through it and experience through it. So once you get rid of this thing, you're you're free. As a matter of fact, my a spiritual master in in uh, a personal conversation with his foremost disciple uh, and the occasion of this fellow's father's death said that it's like having a good bowel movement. He says you feel f- clean and fresh. <laughs> <laughs> He wouldn't. He wouldn't talk like that to the ladies, but to his, you know, his right. buddy, you know. <laughs> well, as, as uh, we're both fellows with backgrounds in Eastern philosophy, uh, and uh, of course, so you you know as well as I do that the Eastern philosophy uh, essentially is that you want to be free of reincarnation. That's when you're free when you break the right. cycle, you know. Right. Uh, whereas right. most people in the West, it seems to us, uh, will look at it as, oh boy, I don't have to go poof. When I die, or as, or as we call it, translation. I don't even believe in death. But actually, Stephen, uh, from, from my point of view, you, you explained my point of view beautifully <laughs> when you were talking. Because at least the, the, way, the way I would look at it, you know, that uh, Whittier, in your case, is a version of yourself. It's all you. And as a matter of fact, it's all us. The whole notion of the individual kind of falls apart. You know, with well, all that's due the res- other side. Yeah, with all due respect to the founders of our country, yeah, you know, with individual yeah. liberty, etc. Uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, who was it? Amit Goswami on the show once, uh, the great physicist and mystic, once said, uh, the, the sense of self is just a sense of self-reference. self-reference. Yeah. Uh, the self really doesn't exist as such now i'm going to tell you a story something i've never told you before Stephen. okay Okay. and this is um you know despite everything i've said there is a little cemetery on the way between here and you're a new englander you know pretty much the layout here uh between uh, providence rhode island and hartford connecticut now where i grew up and i used to take lots and lots of trips to see my mother when she was still there and i would drive by a little cemetery uh, in a little town in Connecticut, about halfway there, and uh, something would draw me to that cemetery. Ben, I've told you this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And um, for years and years, it's got to be 25 or 30 years, I never stopped. Finally, in 2004, you know, the, you, know, you and your brother were bigger, and I, you know, I didn't have you in the car, didn't have, you know, and, and uh, all that sort of thing. So I was by myself, and I stopped. I parked. I was drawn immediately into this cemetery, which is an old, you know, New England cemetery. There was a, this is the old part, and I was drawn right to a stone, and the guy's name was Reuben Marcy, and I'd never heard of him before. Now it doesn't sound like it, but Eno was an old Connecticut name. We came in the 1640s and were related to everybody. As a matter of fact, I think we're even related to Whittier, so we might be a clandestine cousin <laughs> right. somewhere. Right. But Reuben Marcy, I'd never heard of him. I've looked, there are 22,000 people in our family tree, and he's not in there. So it's not like he was an ancestor. So I just, but they were, but my interpretation would be very much like what you described, only in my point of view, you know, he is another version, we are versions of each other in parallel realities, in which there are many versions of ourselves, and really it's all sort of a great, one big life 
form, I, I, I think. Uh, that being said, there's another p- point I'd like you to respond to in the notion of reincarnation, which is that the Western assumption that once we are born, we remain ourselves through life, we remain ourselves after we die, and, and we essentially remain ourselves forever. That's very odd in the history of human spirituality. What say you to that? Because isn't that necessary for reincarnation to be um, true in the classical sense? Well, uh, according to my understanding and also my, my research, there is a level of a person, uh, I, I call it the, you know, the, the higher mental self, you know, but um, there is a, a level of a person that doesn't change very rapidly. Um, in, in this spiritual tradition I've studied, it's called the mental body. Some people call it the causal body. But that, that person changes gradually over a long number of lifetimes. So if you're looking at a lifetime, in my case, that's maybe two back or three back, it's fairly recent, um, there's, there's a little change, but not very much. So, um, but if, if you're talking over hundreds of years, I think there could be very sig- significant change. But one or two lifetimes, you're not going to see much at that level. Now, at the level of the physical personality, it can be fairly different. I, I can relate to the personality that Matthew had, but it's not quite exactly the same as mine. He was a little more sarcastic, a little more mercurial than I am, you know. So there's, there's elements that have shifted, and that's because the whole person doesn't incarnate it at any given lifetime. So some aspect of you will come in for expression in one lifetime, but then in another lifetime, a few down the road, some other aspect of you may dominate. Well, one of the things that, um, and maybe this is a result of my, my theological <clears throat> training as well, is the importance of the physicality of the person. You know, are you really you without your body? And, and you've indicated a, a, a very incisive point about you know, the reincarnation cycle as we're talking about it actually happens that way and that may, what you say makes sense. But the, the issue with um, <clears throat> one of the, the, the uh, things that comes up in ghost research was if everybody reincarnates, why are there so many ghosts? Assuming that they are dead people, which we don't actually. Well, uh, that's a good question and I think it throws a little bit of a question on ghost hunting because I mean uh, the people that should be showing up in in a typical ghost hunting situation should be the earthbound spirits I would think I'm not an expert in that area but those should be the ones that are hanging around and that are close enough to the earth that they're fairly easy to contact and so on the people who were uh, more spiritual and more balanced and more together and weren't attached to the earth and didn't have some horrible conflict that was holding them, they should be in higher astral realms and they can be contacted, but they're not the kind that go bump in the night generally. So that's a question for me too. Yeah, it's it's, um, one of the things that that came up early in in, in my research anyway in the 70s and when I had this first case, and I think I might have mentioned this in the lecture you attended, that uh, it was just—it just, it seemed so physical, and there were so many physical things happening, including the sounds of uh, so-called inanimate objects and this. And I just didn't think this was about dead people. But anyway, uh, what, one of the most interesting points that a lot of people—and I know that, that David Wilcock is one of them—is uh, who thinks he's the reincarnation of Edgar Cayce, the, the uh, quote-unquote sleeping prophet, I believe, was uh, Virginia—is uh, that there are physical. Uh, resemblances, and you yourself have, have photographs uh, on the. We, we did not have a chance to put them on the 
talking points for this show, uh, which I, I will do that this afternoon so people can go and look at them. Um, how would you account for two things? One is the the idea, at least that physicists have told me, that the idea of a, of a spirit being maintaining full memory, imagination, knowledge, etc., as is often indicated in ghost experiences, is not possible under the laws of physics, at least not in this world. But uh, in parallel worlds, if that's true, there are different laws of physics, and maybe that explains. So there's that. And there's also the issue of, you know, how would the physical resemblances take place? Uh, now, I've never seen a picture of Reuben Marcy, but I have no idea what he looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we have, there are ancestors I've seen pictures of who look just like my brother and myself, or, 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 very sim- or Ben or my other son. Um, how would you explain the transfer of the physical uh, resemblance uh, to from one incarnation to another. Well, I don't know for sure. I know there's different theories. Uh, what, one thing we've got is Dr. Ian Stevenson's work where he studied the birthmarks. So we we know that 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 uh, where a, a person in the previous lifetime had been shot in the head, we know that when he reincarnates, he may have bullet, you know. Birthmarks or scars where the bullet. Yeah, actually, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he's got quite a few cases like that. It's very well documented. So we know that the incoming mind can somehow impress itself on the physical body. How how that's done, we don't know, but we know that it can be done. And another example, uh, when I interviewed Dr. Wolger, the late Dr. Roger Wolger, he told me about a case where he was demonstrating past life therapy. And he doesn't use hypnosis, or he didn't. Um, he uses like association gestalt methods. So uh, this woman was remembering, this was in a, a workshop with about 20 people watching, and she remembered being hung as a witch, if I remember correctly. And he said that, that suddenly there were very clear marks of uh, rope indentation on her neck as she was going through this. Yeah. You know? So what that means is the subconscious mind can impress, at least skin at the very least. So we've got some clues that, you know, that the mind, at least the subconscious mind, the power of the subconscious mind can affect at least skin, if not the whole body. So if that can can happen, why can't that incoming mind impress the developing fetus? I don't see any reason why it couldn't happen. Okay, if that's uh, yeah, if that's, I don't that's think it, I don't think it's genetics. You know, yeah, I think right. it's, yeah. Now the theosophists have a theory about other beings helping, which I don't really understand. But just to put that out there, there there is another theory that there's angelic beings or astral beings who assist in this process and help shape the. Developing yeah, they have some interesting points of view. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it, but yeah. you know, you know, but we don't, we don't know because nobody's. This is this, this is the research of the future. You know. Yeah, I suppose it. Well, well as uh, one of our colleagues often says, you know, we're dealing uh, probably with undiscovered science, perhaps. You know, whether yeah, it be correct from whoever's point of view uh, in this discussion today. Uh, to really take the break, Ben. This is probably a good. Time. Yeah, sure, we can take a break. Okay, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break a little bit early. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in the New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We're having a really interesting conversation today with Stephen Sacularius, our good friend, and we'll be right back. Hey, I'm Dave Koz, and this weekend the Dave Koz Radio Show welcomes the very funky bassist, artist Julian Vaughn. He's got some great stories to tell and some hot new music to share with us as well. Visit DaveCos.com during the week for all the details and be here this weekend for another edition of the Dave
Cause Radio Show. Hello to all the fans of Smooth Jazz. The Dave Cause Radio Show can only be heard on ON AM and FM every Sunday, twice on Sundays, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. and 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And the Dave Cause Radio Show is brought to you by the Carew Investment Group. It's the Dave Cause Radio Show and it's right here on ON AM and FM. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Paul, and Ben is here as a Mr. Producer, and uh, we are on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM here in the beautiful Blackstone River Valley of New England. And our guest today is our good friend Stephen Soclarius, and we're talking about a fascinating conversation about reincarnation. Now, why don't we, uh, this is a good time probably to take our, uh, our quest. We have a question from... Um, our very faithful listener in South America, Peter Shelley. Uh, oh, I never gave his. Oh no, I gave his last name. We're not supposed to do that. Anyway, forget I said that. But P- Peter, what was that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm so excited about our conversation. I'm uh, really messing up. So Ben, if you uh, Peter has one or two questions here. Sure. So Peter writes to us. Uh, what has been the reaction of the Edgar Allan Poe fan community to your idea that Matthew Franklin Whittier? Uh, wrote The Raven. Did uh, Whittier write uh, an, any other gothic horror fiction besides The Raven? Hmm. Okay. You ready? <laughs> oh, uh, yes, the, yeah. The, 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 I got into one Edgar Allan Poe group, and I also got into one or two uh, literary uh, online forums. And uh, one, of the, one of the forums, they just refused to post my, my uh, post altogether. And said that I was disrespectful. Uh-oh. Uh oh. That was <laughs> through Facebook. I got that message. Uh, one of them posted a couple things, and then a guy came in and kind of shut it down. And then they wouldn't let me post anymore, and they wouldn't answer. <laughs> uh, another one uh, a while back, I posted on, and they they stuck it in. A, they froze it in a in a chat room somewhere that nobody visited to get it out of the way. Well, that's <laughs> you know? open mindedness so, for you. That well, you know, I understand this completely because you yeah. know they're. First off, they've been taught this since they were knee high, and secondly, uh, they're a fan. See, um, and thirdly, they've interpreted the Raven as a horror poem, which is a huge mistake. I actually had one professor tell me, write to me, that there's no deeper meaning in that poem. You know, well, there's a lot of deeper meanings in that poem, but uh, the the Facebook group I got on was more considerate. There was one guy that really butted heads with me but everybody else was very respectful and one of the people actually was looking at my information and was kind of on the fence about it so the facebook people who were really fans they were po fans they were the most uh, that, that was the best reception i i got hmm. uh, but even then i think they pretty much all dismissed it even though i've got pretty strong evidence they won't look at it you know uh a friend of mine had a had her own museum and she had a a, a, a um, what do you call it, display on death. And she got kind of fed up with the whole thing. She says, my conclusion is that people don't know and they don't want to know. <laughs> you know? I, and very that often that's true. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. sold the museum and went down to Mexico, you know, and she's washed her hands of it. So, I mean, I find that. They don't know and they don't want to know and you better not, you know. And and the better your evidence, the, you know, scarier it is for them, naturally. <laughs> and I understand that because I don't like, you know, my beliefs and assumptions and you know conclusions challenged much either. Nobody does. Yeah, nobody does. Yeah. So I, I understand it. I don't, you know, get upset like they're terrible people. They're they're human, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, now the second half, yes, Matthew did write one gothic story in eight, late eighteen published it in late eighteen forty two, 
it's about uh, it's about a real story, though. He didn't write fantasy. He always almost always wrote from real life. So this was about a story in uh, East Haverhill, Massachusetts, Rocks Village, mm-hmm. about the bridge tender who had a premonition of his own death. That you can find in other sources. No, I've heard so, that story, yeah. yeah so you've Mainly heard, okay. when I was in Haverhill last time. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, it was, it's a real story. So he took that story and he admittedly says he embellished it and he turned it into a, a gothic story. Um, and it, what it starts out is uh, how beautiful the Merrimack is and, you know, his experience of being there and seeing it. And then suddenly he, like, goes into this fugue state and everything becomes horrible. And this ship, ghost ship, comes down, you know, to go through the bridge. And he sees himself on the ship and he, he dies of, like, a huge hemorrhage, the, his replica. And yeah. then the sink. The, the, the ship sinks into the water with blue light and hissing and everything. It's very good writing, hmm. you know. Uh, now, how much of that relates to the actual account, I don't know. But Matthew believed in spiritualism, you know. So he would only write about it from the standpoint of somebody who believed it was true. And uh, now, why he only wrote that one story that I'm aware of. There's there's other poems that kind of have a little bit of that flavor. But um, okay. I think I think he wanted to see if he could do it basically and the other thing is that it had a deeper meaning for him because what it really meant to him was uh what it was like to be there sitting what they call sitting up you know in the old days a a guy and a girl would sit up and that was dating you know uh into the night and they would sit up and look at the merrimack river from where her house was and uh it was how beautiful it was and then when he went back after her death the whole thing was horrible see Hmm. So I, th- I think he was portraying emotionally. He was portraying those two states as part of the story. Interesting. Uh, we have a second part of uh, Peter's question. We do indeed. So Peter continues to ask. Uh, you had some memory of a past life before your investigations. Uh, I have no memory of past lives. So how would you suggest that I investigate? I once went to a hypnotist, and she was not able to hypnotize me. Well, I had that experience too, but then I was able to be hypnotized later. So just because it didn't happen once, maybe it wasn't supposed to. Maybe you're being protected from it, you know, and maybe the right time and the right hypnotist will come along and you will. I never went under deeply, but I was able to go under. Whereas the first time, this was like a world-class hypnotist and I didn't do anything, you know. Um, so that's the first part of that question. The, the, what, the method I used, and I've got this in an article, which I sent you guys a link to. I don't know if you can link to it. But I used a, like a three-pronged approach. So one of them was hypnotism. One of them was psychics, you know, who gave me, if you get a, a real one, if you get a real psychic, that person should start telling you things that they had no way of knowing and they should be very specific. You know, they should tell you that there's a, you know, a plastic mouse on the toilet paper, you know, in your <laughs> bathroom. You know, something really specific. Yeah. If you watch the real ones on YouTube, you know, John Edward and uh, Gordon Smith and a number of other ones and they'll get stuff like that that they couldn't possibly have known and it's way too specific to be chance and they'll get like Gordon Smith I watched him once he got first he, not in this order but he got first middle and last name of somebody who had passed on you know oh, that's pretty and impressive no guessing you know all three so this is the kind of thing you look for in a real psych if, if you get one of those they can give you real information about your past life so that's another one and then uh, see in my case I stumbled on it so I didn't really have to go looking for it. I just got lucky. In a, or if Coincidence, if you believe in coincidence, whatever it was, I stumbled on it there. I recognized it, and I worked it backwards. You know? So I, I wasn't out looking for one I had never seen, yeah. at least not that one. Okay, but, well, if, 
I'm so, sorry. so what you do is, it's, and then and then whatever memories you have, write them down and date them, and if possible, share them with somebody else so that they're you know it's locked locked in. So this is going to be kind of a weird question, but but bear with me here. What weirder is weirder than weirder than the other ones? You mean? Well, that's what we do here. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, yeah. it's it's what we do. <laughs> so, what is the purpose of knowing your past life, right? So it's so you know you're living your daily life. You know, I I work you know forty, fifty, sixty hours a week. What's the purpose of knowing about a past life? Well, I, it's it's a two edged sword. I have found for myself that it explains, it, it gives context and depth to, it explains an awful lot of things that are going on in my life. For example, a, a pattern that I had in relationships of looking for a particular kind of person and a love at first sight and then expecting them to act a certain way toward me and they didn't and then that would end a relationship and then I'd be brokenhearted like I you know, lost somebody I'd been married to for 20 years and it was only like six weeks. What the heck's going on with that? Well, I finally found out I was looking for my past life first wife all the time and and I see somebody that looked a little bit like her or reminded me of her subconsciously because I didn't have any knowledge of that lifetime I would react to her emotionally as though it was my first wife my soulmate and uh, when the when the breakup inevitable breakup happened uh, I would re-experience that loss you know so now that I understand that it's perfectly clear to me so and that's that that's true in a lot of different areas um, so it's been a tremendous help to me. On the other hand, it's dangerous. There's, there's, you know, real dangers involved in it because you can get swamped. The, uh, you, for example, in Matthew's life, he was very sarcastic. He was a satirist, and um, I had pretty much overcome that. I had that when I was in sixth grade to, to the max, and then I overcome it and said, "This is not real. I got to be careful with this." You know, it's like, it's like indiscriminately, you know, waving a sword around and cutting people, you know. It's a sword, and you want to use it when you really have to. But then if I study Matthew's life and become subconsciously, become Matthew, and he starts waking up in myself, I'll start being sarcastic again, you know. Of course, I'm ne- I haven't been sarcastic in this interview very much. Oh, never. No, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I, have that, yeah, I have that in myself, and I have to watch it because you can hurt people's feelings. You know, you can say sure. things. Really, yeah. Well, we, we always treat everyone's ideas with respect, all our guests. Yeah. So, yeah. but I mean, I try to too. But I'll, I'll, I'm more likely to come out with something like that without realizing it. Have if I've immersed myself in Matthew's life. But that's just a really small example. There's other things like recognizing somebody that you were, you know, married to or emotionally involved with, or recognizing somebody that was an enemy. You know, I mean, you. And then what do you do with that now in this lifetime? You know, they're already married. You're married. What do you do with that? There's some, you know, disaster stories that. Oh yeah, I've seen some of them in psychiatric hospitals. I mean, the the uh, but before we do that, I want to we're we're burning up the hour. I want to give you a chance to talk about you know, where people can find out more and whether people can see your film, uh, Reincarnation in America, that which really sounds uh, interesting. Uh, is that on YouTube or somewhere? And and it's where can people find it's out on more? YouTube. It's all on my website. So if I give you the URL for my main page, you can find everything right up there. Sure. Top. Yeah, we'll keep a link to that. Okay, yeah, it's www.ial.goldthread.com. Okay. It's all there. Okay, could you repeat that a little more slowly, please? Sure. W, W, no. Yeah. <laughs> Wise guy. Sarcastic. Yeah, 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 see? www.ial.goldthread.com. Gold thread, okay, very good. All right, where's people to check that out? Um, yeah. Now on the on the issues of um, 
it sounds very complicated, the kind of thing. Now, in psychiatric hospitals, as a seminary student, I was doing pastoral work, and I would run into people who had been diagnosed as schizophrenic, uh, and some of them, I, I believed at least, were experiencing very much what you describe, only, I, again, my interpretation was they were experiencing, you know, themselves in parallel facets and parallel realities, or, or maybe, if you're correct, it would have been past lives. But they, they had trouble uh, balancing. They couldn't integrate it. Yeah, yeah. But precisely, yeah. And yeah. so they, they today they just fill your pockets full of antipsychotic drugs and send you on your way and have it help you. Well, so, the, other, the other thing, Paul, is that they dared talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> That's precisely. the biggest problem is that they said something. Yes. <laughs> A lot yeah. of these people, yeah. Well, that, that's true. Uh, so how do you integrate the, this awareness? And, I mean, you strike me as a very you know, balanced person who, uh, you know, lives an orderly life, and, and that's what you want to do as a human being, you know? I mean, how, how do you do that? Well, I mean, again, I have to go to examples. Matthew felt betrayed, and he felt ignored. He felt marginalized, and he was, you know? I mean, he really was... his. Well, the problem was he wrote anonymously, but he knew what he had done and what he was capable of doing, And but he wasn't accepted into the literati, the Boston, you know, literary heroes. So he felt, he felt that keenly, I think. Um, he avoided fame all his life, but he, he really secretly wanted recognition for his talents, and he didn't get it. And uh, he, was, he was also blacklisted for his involvement with the anti-slavery movement. So he had a rough time of it socially. Hmm. And and when I, especially when I immersed myself in his work, this starts to creep creep in. This sense of fatalism and this sense of uh, being marginalized and the resentment of, about being marginalized. And, and, you know, all of that starts to creep in and people feel it, you know. I'm kind of a, a, a black cloud walking around, you know, angry because people are rejecting me, you know. So I have to kind of stop and say, okay, that was then and this is now, which is what the past life therapists say, hmm. you know. Leave it leave it in that lifetime, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example. And the sarcasm is another example and the rom- romantic search, you know, for the impossible woman that I can't ever find because... You know, she's in the astral world. She still had reincarnated. You know, so that's another example. It's it's not easy because you're talking. Here's what I found is that the emotions from your past life are all there. People say, why can't we remember our past lives? Oh, you remember them all right, but you remember them emotionally. It's You're reacting to everything in this life with your past life emotions, and you just don't know it. So uh, if, that's, if, if that stuff starts to really come through, it's very tough to integrate. Okay, let me ask you this: Why, um, what, why Matthew Whittier, or, or what, why in my case uh, Ruben Marcy, with whom I have no relationship whatsoever? But but the point being, why would he attract my attention? You know, as opposed to uh, you know Grog, the caveman, the Cro-Magnon from the last Ice Age, you know, something. Like, I mean, why? I wasn't going to say that I saw that in you, but no. yeah, <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's a good question as to why. Uh, I I know that Matthew felt that he'd made a huge mistake publishing anonymously and hiding his talents, hiding his talents under a bushel. You know, some, one of his editors actually accused him of that. But he, he made a huge mistake because, uh, for one thing, people stole and claimed his work that had no right to it, and they uh, trivialized it. You know, the, the, the Raven is considered a horror poem, and the things that people have done with the Raven, thinking it's a horror poem, are just awful, you know. And there's some other examples too uh, that that 
when you write anonymously and you let other people steal your work, you also let them adulterate it and marginalize it. So, and trivialize it. Hmm. So, and, and his legacy was, is scattered to the winds, you know. So I think that I reincarnated to get that all back. You know, that that's like a very important to me, that, that I made a big mistake and that now I have to make it right. And this is, I mean, this is one reason we reincarnate is to make, get things right this time. You know, it's a big theme, whatever that is. So this is what I have, part of what I have to get right. That's funny, Lorraine Warren told me the same thing. <laughs> so how do we learn what we got wrong? Well, I think you already know it. It's just a matter of recognizing it. You know, I mean, there's all your your hot spots and your areas where you hit an impasse. You know, the things that are important to you or where you feel blocked, you know, are probably pretty close to those areas that you need to work on. I, I don't think it's that difficult to. I think it's difficult to let yourself recognize them, but they're all right there in front of you. All of your areas that you incarnated to work on seems to me shouldn't be that difficult. Okay. And I wanted to get clear on this, and it's funny, I ask this from the point of view that Peter did, because nobody's ever been able to hypnotize me either. Mm. Uh, have you had regression uh, therapy, I guess, from a, a, a hypnotherapist? Have you been hypnotized to go back to these past lives? The second time I was hypnotized, I went to a professional therapist. Okay. And it was specifically, I think I was trying to figure out this pattern with women, what was going on, you know. And uh, it was interesting. I got there and I sat outside and off in the distance, somebody was playing uh, Amazing Grace on bagpipes, huh. you know. And so when I got in, I said, it must be nice to have a bagpipe in the neighborhood. She said, I never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was interesting, yeah. you know. Um, so then she hypnotized me and I was able to go under. I felt... I felt the Holy Spirit, and I felt like sparkles, you know, and, I, and I, I went into this state, and I don't talk about that, I've never talked about this, but what I saw was that I was in a position of power in an advanced society, probably another planet, so we're going off now, okay, but you guys are cool with this, right? Yeah. So, this is just what I saw, so I was in an advanced society, I was in a position of power, and there was a room, big black I've seen this kind of material, I don't know what you would call it, but it's black and iridescent and kind of soapy or slippery. It looks like, like oil. If you put oil in water, you get that iridescent. So it looked like that, and it was about the size of a garage or a bedroom, and it was a pain room. I was putting people in there to experience pain, to punish them. Good kind dream. of like in, in Dune where he's, his hand is put in the exactly. box. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was like that, and I, of course, was familiar with that, so I could have generated it from that. But that's what I saw. And uh, a few other things, which I can't remember right now. There was something to do with Native Americans. But, I mean, there was this... The other thing I think I saw was that I was kind of a slave supervisor. And this was in a world where there were underground, there were tubes, and the tubes were, like, alive. I mean, they were, like, kind of like bubbles. And there was, uh, like... It was like a pneumatic tube situation. So people were in this thing that went through this pneumatic tube, and I was just sitting there at a desk or something supervising all these people. And I was very cold, you know, very uh, just by the book. And that's what I was told about mm -hmm. another lifetime by a psychic, just by the book, you know. And I was a, like a slave supervisor. So there's another lifetime I think I had as a Greek philosopher who was made a slave to the Romans. So then as Matthew, I was an abolitionist. So there's this slavery theme on both sides bouncing down lifetimes apparently oh, and now i've com completely forgotten what we're yeah <laughs> where well, we started with this no that was the first that was the first one okay. and, and in that case I, I got a feeling that i had been this awful person we will say on radio and uh you know that i was 
trying to straighten that out, trying to atone for that, and that I was getting the repercussions of that. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. That can't yeah. be easy. That was a premiere. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Never told well, anybody that. Well, the reason I ask about hypnotism is because I've all, for a million years I've, I've asked, well, I'm sounding like I'm talking about but for a long time, I've always asked regression therapists, people who will hypnotize you and take you back to your what they believe is the past lives. Have you? Because they they often will ask, or they always ask the subject, you know, what year is it? And they'll expect, you know, eighteen thirty-five or seventeen something. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are two points that they've made. It seems that um, it's very rare to have someone. Uh, name a date, at least the ones I've talked to, name a date before modern times. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or even, well, you know, they, they'll be ancient times, but let's say prehistoric times, okay? Uh, modern times really begin about 1500, but even before that, there are people who say, you know, there were Romans or something. But uh, th- there don't seem to be a lot uh, who, who will name a, a known civilization of that kind. And I, I took it from there, I said, do you ever have people who will give you dates in the future, or at least some world you don't recognize. And, and you kind of just did, Stephen, you know. And uh, they'll say, funny, uh, you should ask, just last week, uh, this one from Vermont told me uh, that someone had said it was uh, some year in the, in the 22nd century, mm-hmm. uh, in the 2140s. And um, that was um, uh, really, really interesting. So if, if that is accurate, and I know when I started out in the 70s, uh, hypnotism was uh, falling out of favor, and that, now it's mm-hmm. kind of back. So assuming it does what we think it does, and this is all accurate, then maybe we're dealing with dates in the future. <coughs> Excuse me. I should Bless have, you. I should have given you a... Well, you know, so yeah. sometimes in life, things don't yeah, turn the out things, the way Things you don't plan. turn out the way you plan. Thank you, Harvey Bushkin. Uh, so anyway, uh, my point being that we've, we've got all sorts of um, questions about that. I mean, are we dealing with dates in the future? Uh, and, and we think that lends credence to our point that maybe this is parallel worlds uh, all simultaneous. But what say you about dates in the future or, or even some more about your own experience, which is an well, alien world of some kind? I have, I have known people that had uh, quote-unquote memories of the future. And I think Helen Wambach... W-A-M-B-A-C-H, I think it is. Are you there? Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm there, yeah. Okay, so I think that she studied that uh, and and uh, that some of the people got future lifetimes and, and she talked about what they said and all of them said the population is very much reduced, if I remember correctly. So uh, that's scary. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I know that there's such a thing as prescience. There, there certainly are people who have been able to see the future and a small scale and possibly a larger scale. Uh, how it works, I have no idea. I mean, okay. you know, outside of my studies, and, and although, although it can happen, my, my guru, Meher Baba, did have an explanation for it in his book, God Speaks, but I, I really didn't understand it. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to you know, get it from memory now and try to explain that. Yeah, yeah some of this stuff can be pretty heavy going. His, his explanation was that we're living in the past, and when we have an impression of the present, it seems like the future. That, that was basically what he Interesting. said. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, which I, yeah, so I don't have any way to verify that. Okay. What about uh, dreams? We often get questions about that. We've done shows on it. Uh, have your lives been reflected, uh, particularly uh, Matthew's, in, in dreams, do you think? I had one that might have been from this lifetime. Uh, the dream was very briefly that I was coming back from a long, uh, like a two or three days trip and that I was approaching a house, a typical New England house with a white picket fence. 
and a yard, and that everything was way more still than it ought to be, and that I was, uh, you know, and that something was very wrong, and I felt alarmed, and then I woke up, and I tried to continue with it, you know, but I don't really trust that when you try to extend, you know, a dream or extend a memory. It doesn't seem to work like that. So that's as much as I would stick with. Hmm. And Matthew did have an experience, as near as we can tell, in 1838, he was in Michigan looking for work, and when he came back, he found that uh, his... Uh, child joseph at 11 months had died in a scarlet fever epidemic so there's a possible that could have been i had that dream two or three times a couple times anyway okay so that's possible and then uh, and then i had when i got into this research um i had a visitation dream from my first wife in that lifetime abby and uh as we had a nice little conversation she was dressed in modern clothes we were in a car in something like the holland tunnel and uh, the only part of the conversation I remember is that suddenly I said, you know, you're not a real girl. I'm imagining this. I said this in a dream. <clears throat> you know, so I was like semi-lucid, apparently. So, and then she just looked at me mischievously like she was just amused, <laughs> you know, mm. with, with me saying this. Then I woke up, and then I got online on Google, and I downloaded 12 portraits under I think the search term was woman portrait. And I downloaded 12, actually 13, but two of them were the same one uh, with like one is pen and ink and one was photographed so 12 portraits and I didn't know what she looked like at this time two weeks later a friend of mine helped me find her historical portrait and they're very very close beyond way beyond chance Interesting. so so I was able to verify a visitation dream which I don't know how many people have actually done it's a tough thing to verify but in this case I think I did it so that but that was it I, I haven't dreamt about Matthew's life that I can remember it's been 10 years I've been studying this and I haven't had a dream about it interesting okay uh, we're, we're almost out of time but I wanted to bring up the notion of twins and the research has been done at least so I've seen uh, that twins have similar or the same reincarnation yeah. memories and they very often turn out to be ancestral memories which is another question you know obviously maybe for another show uh <clears throat> but uh, just very briefly what say you about the twin experience in this uh, dr dr marge reader wrote a, a study about twins in past lives i think there were three sets of twins if i remember correctly that's one right, of yeah. was triplets yeah i've forgotten <laughs> the name of that book unfortunately uh i don't know what I don't know what to make of it, uh, to be honest, uh, because here's the thing. They, the memories, past life memories can't be entirely genetic because we have memories from people that didn't have children. Exactly. Or mem memories at the time when they couldn't have had children, you know, or whatever. So or how did those memories, memories, you know. Yeah, they memories can't be after the, yeah. So it can't be just genetics. But as above, so below. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's the, you know, the principle. And... Okay. If we have something in the mental body of memories, we probably have it in the physical body as well. So it's reflected, you know. So I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't some genetic or physical reflection of the memories with, where their original source is in the mental body. Okay. I'm afraid we're out of time, but, but Stephen, fascinating conversation. We'll be in touch off the air. And uh, give us your website quickly one more time. Okay. www.com. I-A-L dot goldthread dot com. Outstanding. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being Talk with us. Talk to you soon. It's fine. Okay. Let's get to our, our announcements. Uh, 
And uh, we're still working to restore the 11-plus years of recorded shows after a serious cyber attack on our website. And we're back to most of 2011 at this point. Uh, we know a lot of people like to listen to those, so thanks for your patience. Uh, they're also being gradually uploaded to various podcast platforms. And we have... Uh, uh, that's being very successful. We have uh, listeners in over 30 countries to those already, and it's only been up for three weeks. <clears throat> so uh, what do we got going on here, Ben? So on Tuesday, our, uh, August 6th at 7 p.m., my dad and hopefully myself will be at the National Public Library in Nashua, New Hampshire, to present a program entitled Extreme UFO Encounters in New Hampshire and Beyond. And right after that, on Saturday, August 17th at 2 p.m., we'll be... Uh, we will be at the uh, Haverhill Public Library in Haverhill, Massachusetts to present on Extreme UFO Encounters in Massachusetts and Beyond. Uh, my book, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God, uh, will be released on August 28th and will be in stores after that and will feature at our fall events. It's available for pre-order on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, etc. Uh, the official release event will take place at our, with our good friends at the Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire on Saturday, September 21st, beginning at 2 p.m. Uh, but before that, we will be at the 2019 Exeter UFO Festival, where we will speak for the eighth year in a row, as well as do our fourth annual live broadcast from of this show, uh, with a panel of speakers on Sunday, September 1st, at noon, from the historic Exeter, New Hampshire Town Hall. Uh, this great event is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club, and benefits local children's charities. Uh, other events this fall uh, will take place uh, at the Book Club Bookstore in South Windsor, Connecticut, Book Lovers Gourmet in Webster, Mass., and the Blackstone Public Library, and uh, also Greater New England UFO Conference in Leominster, uh, Mass., on Columbus Day weekend, Tewksbury Mass. Public Library, Mount Hope Farm in Bristol. We're really going to be busy this fall. So um, th- that's that's. Uh, and there are plenty of other books. Uh, check behindtheparanormal.com uh, for those, and we'll be able to um, autograph them for you if you order them from the the online bookstore at that site. Plenty of plenty of the material there, plus all those recorded shows. And if you, you can always check us out via our multiple platforms, and uh, now we are on Apple iTunes as well, yep. so you can check us out on there too. Uh, so there are also links to several charities that we've adopted, uh, which is USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphan, Orphans, a Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. Yeah, so what do we have for next week, Ben? So next week uh, we will bring you Tom Cooper from the Roku TV show Cryptovania uh, to hear about the weird creatures he has encountered in Pennsylvania. Yeah, we know about that. So I'll uh, leave you this afternoon with a thought from none other than dear old Einstein. Life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. We shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the 